0: You're listening to Drones in America on Market Scale. Your host, Grant Guillot leads the Unmanned Aircraft Systems Practice Team for the law firm of Adams and Reese. Every week, he will be chatting with leaders, influencers, and experts who are impacting the rapidly growing commercial drone industry in the United States to help us through the complex web of technology and policy.
1: Welcome back to Drones in America by MarketScale. I'm Grant Giot with the law firm of Adams and Reese. And I thank you for joining us today for a very special episode covering everything that's going on with the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm joined today by Ken Stewart, who is the CEO of Eros, part of GE Aviation, as well as by Chris Todd, who is the Executive Director of the Airborne International Response Team, and Charles Werner, who is the director of the Drone Responders Public Safety Alliance. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi, Grant. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. So, Ken, let's start with you. The idea is basically to discuss what drones can do right now to assist with the devastating effects that are being brought not only to the public safety, but also to the economy and everything else that's going on right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. How can drones be used to kind of alleviate some of these negative effects?
2: Sure. I'll give a good example last week that uh, we I think many of us probably saw on television uh, where we had a cruise ship off the coast of California that required a Black Hawk helicopter to go deliver you know, COVID-19 tests, uh, test units, and then go back, pick them up, and bring them back. And if you look at a scenario like that, you've got you know, probably a crew of at least three that could potentially get exposed to any you know contaminant, um, but it's also a dangerous mission. You've got a, a helicopter that's got to essentially follow a moving object to be able to deploy these products down you know on the deck. Whereas if you are to take and say let's let's attempt that with a drone, you know you can control the exposure to the contaminant. You don't have crew members. Um, a drone doesn't cost three to five million dollars like a Black Hawk probably does, and I may be, I may actually be conservative on that number. Um, but it also doesn't cost a thousand dollars an hour to operate. So we think about, you know, how drones can be utilized in a scenario like this, um, it's not just the safety factor, but it's the it's the massive economics that's supported when you can drop, you know, the cost by ninety-five percent to perform that same activity.
1: Now, Chris, why don't you tell me a little bit about public safety and what drones can do both today and in the coming days to aid in this pandemic?
3: Sure. Well, I mean, I, I think we've seen the inherent use cases that that drones offer on uh, everything from industrial inspections uh, to public safety use cases is, is they really adhere to the prescription of social distancing, right? If, if you've got an insurance claim at a house or if you have a power line inspection going through someone's yard or across somebody's property, with a drone you don't need to go knock on the door and and, and climb up on the roof and have an interaction with that person. You can just show up at the house and, and launch the aircraft and collect the data you need to. Um, same with power line inspection. So you're limiting those human-to-human interactions, which is really important given the nature of COVID-19 and the uh, expressed need for social distancing that the Center for Disease Control is mandating. Uh, I think we're also seeing um, in the immediate use case right now is public information, both from the media side and public information officers from the government side. This week, uh, Airt and Drone Responders uh, launched a PSA, uh, public service announcement, which we filmed entirely in South Florida over this past weekend, highlighting um, all the venues that were closed down. And uh, the, the idea behind that was really to convey that that America is shutting down. Uh, we are gonna weather out this storm, but we will be back. And drones allow us to kind of tell that story through almost a, a visual artistic in, in interpretation that you don't get from uh, from other assets. So I think those are some of the things we're seeing today. And then as Ken alluded to, there's a whole wide range of missions, uh, both on the workbench and, and getting into deployment for delivery, um, for temperature monitoring, and for air samples, which could come into play with any kind of pandemic uh, outbreak.
1: Charles, how are you seeing public safety agencies respond to the pandemic?
3: Well, I think primarily
0: they're looking now at uh, how to limit their exposure while maintaining the same level of service uh, by reducing uh, the number of response units that are, that are going to calls, And I think that plays into the, the whole role of the, is there more exposure takes place that, that will actually impact uh, the potential quarantining of personnel. So you see in Washington State, you had one fire department that said 25% of its its personnel uh, were quarantined. But I, but I think what we're looking at now is uh from the experiences we've seen in the past, uh, and a good good example is zipline, delivery of medications long distances. Is there a need in certain places where drones can actually fulfill that void? And as Kent mentioned, uh, to limit the amount of exposure uh, that we have from people. And th- the other idea is a model like Jula Vista, where they're using their IPP to fly beyond visual line of sight, uh, immediately from dispatch to assess the situation. What's kind of interesting about that is it allows us to see the need for public safety at the scene. And I think 25% of the cases that they responded to, they realized they didn't need a ground unit. So that's an effective way of being able to learn uh, what resources are needed and not needed so that you can free them up more effectively. Now, there's going to be a little bit more into that of trying to make that all come to fruition. But we did launch a task force today uh, of public safety across the country to be able to uh, explore the possibility to meet the needs that arise. uh, And then to review those Possible options and where they make sense to help facilitate that. We we are staying away from the very hard-hit areas that have a very high level, uh, concentration and effort going on because that's that's a very intense area. So we're trying to make sure that we explore the realistic possibilities without interfering with uh, the operations as they're happening today.
1: Thanks, Charles. So, Kim, tell me a little bit about how the regulatory environment, as it currently exists in the United States how that is either helping or inhibiting the ability of drones to aid in this effort.
2: So, you know, that's kind of a double-edged sword. In in some areas, it certainly is enabling, and in some areas, it is inhibiting. We have the ability today, for example, for public safety to be able to put up an advisory whenever they're operating with a drone. What we don't have yet is the ability to distribute that advisory such that, you know, hobbyists and others are aware of these operations or even... Even emergency helicopters are even aware of these, uh, these operations so that we can you know, safely deploy these drones. So these are things that are being developed both by policy, but also by technology. And as uh, Charles mentioned, the IPP, um, there's all these programs, the IPPs, the UPPs, uh, TCL-4 with NASA, that we've been testing all these technologies. So it's really, you know, this actually is a great time to put these technologies to test um, and see how they perform, you know, for the benefit of the public safety.
1: Now, I guess this question is kind of for any of the three of you. What kind of response are you seeing from public safety agencies, you know, when when they are approached with the idea of, hey, now's the time when you really should be using drones or this is drones time to shine when at a time when social distancing is mandated And at a time when we really don't need to be going to stores to buy consumer goods, which in theory could be delivered by drones, you know, what kind of response are you seeing from the very agencies that could be utilizing this technology?
0: So, this is Charles. I'll tell you the first thing that we're seeing is there's a lot of interest in people participating and helping where they can. What we're trying to do is to figure out when, where, and how effective can we actually be? We don't want to, to initiate use of drones just for the sake of drones. Uh, we want to do it for the sake of actually meeting a need. But I will say, I, I want to add to this, this conversation, we have had contact with the FAA, and the FAA is is very understanding of the situations that may arise, and they have said they have increased their staffing to support uh, the SGI, special government interest requests that may come forward. So they're already looking at ways to help facilitate things that may be able to help meet those needs and working with us in public safety.
3: I I, I would agree with Charles. I mean, I think... You know, there, within the industry sector, there's really a, there's a strong desire to to bring the technology to market quickly because we know we can do some good with it. Yet, conversely, on the first responder side, um, these folks are tasked with collateral duties, and using a drone might be number forty-seven on the list of things they're thinking about right now. So, it's finding that balance and making sure, as Charles said, that there's a need that we're addressing and that it can be done in a manageable time frame because in the middle of an emergency is usually not the best time to be deploying a new technology unless you've got a really strong game plan for how it's going to work.
1: Ken, one of the things that we've discussed and, and that several people in the industry have discussed is how this is not just a public safety issue right now. Of course, we're all watching what's going on in the stock market and with the economy, not just the you know U.S. economy, but global economy, drones – can be used in so many different industries in so many ways to kind of achieve cost savings and risk reductions. What are some of the industries right now, Ken, that you especially think should be considering leaning on drones to help during this time when economic certainty abounds?
2: Sure. Well, I already mentioned the one case of, you know, replacing at least temporarily for a mission, a Blackhawk with a, uh, with the drone, um, I think there are a lot of economics to that. I think if you look at healthcare too, that's that's actually a massive uh, area of opportunity for this. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that helps us overcome is there's still a lot of people that uh, are always concerned about drones flying. You know, you have a lot of people that are concerned about privacy, uh, personal privacy and identity and things like that. But I think in times like this, you can really see where drones actually really provide a major benefit to the community, both in public safety, uh, but also economic benefit. You know, I think somebody mentioned earlier about, you know, um, package delivery, something along those lines. You know, drones are ideal for areas to replace work that's dirty, dangerous, and repetitious. And keeping that social distancing right now, using drones, um, could be an ideal way of doing that. Now, I think somebody also said drones aren't perfect for everything. I would absolutely agree with that. You know, so many reasons that people have brought drones up to do things. Who were like, "Well, that just doesn't seem to make much economical sense," uh, but in environments like this, where you've got to keep a distance on something and you don't want to have any, you know, uh, exposure to, you know, a virus or something along those lines, then you know, robots such as UAVs are really ideal for a situation like this.
1: One of the things that those of us operating in the industry are consistently faced with is is the huge public acceptance and perception problems we have with drones. As Ken, you just mentioned, privacy issues, concerns with trespass. How do we reconcile that fear, the fear of new technology, the fear of drones roaming our skies with this fear uh, that the fears that are arising from the COVID-19 pandemic? In other words, it seems like that in itself is a challenge to be able to assure the public that, you know, on one hand, drones are safe, you know, especially in times like this. But on the other hand, prior to COVID-19 and possibly even now, there many people still fear drones. So is there a certain way we can convince the public that now is a time to fear COVID-19 more than drones?
3: Well, I, I Grant, I, I think that's happening probably. I think the media has been doing a pretty good job at At telling that story and i I think you know if i put on my public information officer hat my pio hat the the big challenge here over the long term is going to be how long will the american public stay indoors heed government advice and and avoid um these large interactions i mean it's we're still in the first week of this and this could go on for several weeks perhaps several months it's going to be really tough to maintain um, the desire and the ability to keep people sequestered for that long. And I think that's a role for unmanned aircraft systems, to have drones out there showing that nobody else is on the streets, that there's nothing going on, people aren't missing anything. It's going to be a a communication strategy that we're going to need to use to really reinforce the overall messaging with this emergency. And I think drones can provide a lot of value in that. And by doing so, that will help gain public acceptance of the technology as well as acceptance within the public safety community and the commercial industry about how valuable these tools can be.
1: Chris, I'm glad you mentioned that. In my home state, Louisiana, we've had some issues the past couple of days with Bourbon Street continuing to be flooded with visitors, despite the governors, the presidents, the mayor's warnings. And th- that seems like an ideal situation where a drone could be used to monitor crowds on Bourbon Street. Am I correct?
3: Yeah. I mean, we're we're going through the same thing here in Miami Beach with with spring break. And you can really use the drone for v- a variety of reasons. You can either tell the story of look at all these idiots out on the beach not adhering to the state of emergency risking infection and spreading the disease or you can tell the story of look nobody's on the beach everybody's listening to uh, to the president and the governor and and maintain the state of emergency so it becomes a really useful tool again in the public information and storytelling component of, of this entire emergency
0: and this is Charles. I think the opportunity too is to is to be telling the story about how drones are making a difference. And if they're if they're going to be used for deliveries or some other type of uh, activity during this COVID nineteen or other, is be transparent, inform the public that the drones will be flying, why they're flying, uh, to be helpful. Because I think we saw after the hurricanes uh, Harvey, Irma, and Maria, uh, the stories that came out of the flights of drones and drones for good uh, made a huge difference in public uh, reception and ad- and acceptance of drones.
1: I definitely agree, Charles. And one of the things I wanted to touch on that we've kind of heard about is the idea of coronavirus tests being administered via drones, drones dropping off tests to various places where is suspected someone inhabiting in that place has the virus. How realistic is it, given the regulatory environment and the public perception issues we face as a country? For this to be enabled, and Ken, I think I'll let you take that one.
2: Sure. Well, as many of the laws and policies stand uh, today, it'd be a little bit challenging uh, to do that um, with some of the rules around flights over people. Uh, we're still lacking remote ID and things like that. You know, knowing which drone is which drone would still be a challenge. There's certainly things that we have to address um, to solve those problems. And and I think you know this was touched on a little bit earlier is. These events that we've seen where we've been able to deploy drones um, in these environments, whether it be a flood or a hurricane, you know, you really gain the public's trust quickly. And, um, you know, maybe there's perhaps a use case in a place like Washington that's been hardest hit that some of the policymakers could, you know, attempt to see what could be done under, you know, the existing policies to see what they should change with those policies to see what could actually be achieved um, in terms of supporting the reduction of the spread of this and being able to engage people in a way that doesn't spread it any worse and helps
1: maintain some of the uh, reduction of this, this virus spreading. Logistically speaking, Ken or, or Charles or Chris, when we think of drone deliveries, you know, there's been discussed discussions of various apparatuses that would be need to actually receive the delivery to receive the good in there. Also a, a logistical, Uh, dilemma right now with how we would even receive the coronavirus test if we could deliver it via drone?
3: I I think there is. I mean, I think that's that's a complicated feat. I mean, there's certain companies that have been testing the delivery of medical supplies, um, but not necessarily under these circumstances. And I think there's a lot of moving parts that kind of come into that operation from a logistics and a technical perspective. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure, again, that in the middle of an emergency like this is, is the best time to be doing that. What, what I can say, and this is one of the things that Air is focused on uh, in this emergency, is this is the perfect time for us to really start analyzing what the different needs are for a pandemic response and then look at the technology we have and that the technology that's in development on the UAS side and determine next time around what can we do better. And so I, that's, that's one area where air and drone responders are going to be working together through this uh, response effort to, to identify those use cases, track them, log them, and, and flush them out moving forward.
0: And, and I'll add to that, I think the other issue that we see is that there's, there's technical issues of regulations regarding, uh, you know, transporting of biotechnology uh, type things. It may be considered a hazardous material. So you've got regulatory from operations over people, the regulatory as far as the HAZMAT uh, and then you've got the issue of once you've done something and transported something, the issue of decontamination. So again, whatever we do has to be methodically thought through. Uh, and I think that one of the big things we're going to learn from this is uh, from our, uh, our partners in industry. Those that are doing package delivery, uh, how would we start using in these cases and let them kind of lead us down the path and we work together to figure out the strategy and the methodology.
1: And, you know, I I brought up delivery of the coronavirus test, but I think there's one item that most Americans, at least, would would pay a lot of money to have delivered to their households via drone right now. And that, of course, is toilet paper. Um, When we're talking about consumer goods and things that aren't necessarily a, a biohazard issue, are there other certain regulatory impediments right now that are preventing us from being able to set drones to work right now in this pandemic? In other words, is there anything we can do, Ken, to kind of ask the government to ease these regulations so that these drone deliveries and other advanced operations could actually come to fruition?
2: So I think there's always an opportunity to ask for some leniency in times like this. I think the challenge that we all have then is, you know, most of the drones that we look at today, you know, you're looking at advanced operations and getting a waiver or something like that have gone through some sort of performance based evaluation. And I think we still lack a lot of knowledge in terms of many of these, many of these units that just come off the shelf of what they're really capable of doing while they're, while they're very smart and very capable in terms of like, you know, flying robots really is, you know, what, what are the safety Limitations that they're going to have. These are very inexpensive units, and in some cases, we're trying to put them beyond their capabilities um, of what they're capable of doing. So, I think there are still some challenges in terms of getting the right equipage, uh, the right person flying these units, um, and really understanding kind of the rules of operations and rules of the road um, would have to be overcome. In addition to, you know, getting some leniency from and, the FAA I- in
0: times like this. And I think the fast tracking and possibility of leniency that comes in this opportunity is with the the people that are working with IPPs or they have 135 exemptions, that they've already done some of this. The UPS uh, projects that are being done, uh, the projects with the wing, uh, Zipline, and others that have experience are probably going to be the leaders in helping us understand that. And then we have drone up as well. That uh, has, has contractors all across the country. So we look at all these different things and say, how can we leverage these things in a realistic and scalable way? And again, it's, it's important
1: for us to underpromise and overdeliver. I completely agree. And I really appreciate what all you guys are doing to facilitate and helping with, with everything that's going on right now with this crazy pandemic, the likes of which I'm not sure we've seen, at least in my lifetime, I know we haven't. We're almost out of time, so I wanted to give each of the three of you a chance to kind of give a closing statement about what your opinion is in terms of where how things are going to be changed in the United States because of this virus and how drones will play a role in those changes. Charles, why don't we start with you? Well, I think, as Chris mentioned earlier, what will
0: happen during this period of time, probably uh, most significantly, is for us to learn. Uh, how drones could make a difference in certain scenarios we identify the needs, uh, but also what regulatory changes will be needed uh, to make those kind of things work in the future. So I think the need versus the uh, the methodology is what we'll be learning and helping us plan for what comes next.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. And, and I just kind of want to echo, um, you know, we, earlier this week, Air and Drone Responders announced four initiatives that we're working on. So I, I'll just kind of walk you through those really quick. First, I want to let everybody out there know that um, a couple of events we had scheduled are going to be rescheduled at this point. The Drone Responders Global Public Safety UAS Summit at Exponential 2020 in Boston, as well as the Drone Responders Emergency Management and Disaster Forum at the Energy Drone and Robotics Summit in Houston have each been postponed. Uh, We'll be getting more information um, for you as we work through those issues with our organizational partners at AUVSI and the Energy Drone and Robotics Coalition. Um, Number two, uh, we released a public safety or public service announcement called Flatten the Curve this week. Uh, You can view that public service announcement at flattenthecurve.droneresponders.org. And it's basically a a video our team shot this past weekend uh, showing a, a variety of different landmarks in South Florida where nobody was out. Uh, everybody was sequestered, and it's reinforcing the notion that we all need to kind of pitch in together to help uh, flatten the curve and save lives. Uh, the third is uh, Drone Responders has launched a COVID-19 task force of public safety UAS leaders led by Chief Werner. And uh, anybody w- who would like some more information on that task force uh, can email taskforce at org. And number four, as we talked about, uh, Air and Drone Responders will be Um, embarking on a new project for pandemic use tracking. Uh, We're gonna be logging all the different ways that organizations and entities are are looking to use UAS or are using drones uh, for good in response to the COVID-19 outbreak.
1: Great, thanks, Chris. Ken, last word? Sure. The only thing, I mean, like, I'm going to echo what both Charles
2: and Chris said. I think the key thing here is that all new technology, you know, is a little bit intimidating up front, right? But people all get used to it over time. And, you know, one of the things we've already been used to is, you know, having packages delivered to our home, telecommuting. And so all those, you know, um, leaps in technology have, have made even this capable today for us to be able to work from home for the next two weeks. You know, none of these other companies that are all doing that. So it really is just not a time to panic, but just, you know, embrace the technology, see what it can do for us and, and grow
1: from there. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate all three of you for joining me today. Um, please stay safe, remain healthy. And it, it's always a pleasure working with the three of you. I look forward to continuing to work with you guys in the future as we encourage and do what we can to grow this industry as quickly as we can, because it's becoming abundantly clear that drones can be used for so many great things. And I think this week or this month has shown us that drones are especially valuable in times when the future is uncertain and when social distancing is encouraged. It's... It's great to know that this new technology can be harnessed in so many ways to help safeguard not only the public health, but also assist with economic concerns. So uh, Charles Werner, Chris Todd, and Ken Stewart, thank you. And I look forward to having the three of you back.
3: Thanks, Grant. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks.